mentioned a moment ago that there was a day and time in America when many of our forefathers, they believed in the ideals of Scripture, they acknowledged the inspiration of Scripture, the inerrancy of Scripture. They trusted that this book could safely guide them through life. Sad to me that we no longer live in a society that places a premium on respecting the ideals of Scripture. As you well know, we have a lot of problems in our country. We have social problems, we have moral problems, we have financial problems, we have judicial problems, we have family problems. Many of those problems could be eradicated if as a nation of people we would simply humble ourselves and come to the conclusion that God knows more than we. That God's Word is right. And that God's Word is prescriptive. It can bless us and help us. It goes back to an understanding that this book is something special. You know, there are a lot of people in our world today, they treat this book in a very flippant manner. It saddens me that in our nation, we have exalted, for example, in many, in many respects, the Quran above Scripture. And yet the Quran does not meet the litmus test of divine truth. And so we have individuals who are in our government making decisions about moral issues that have been long since settled. And if we as a nation of people respected the Word of God and if our lawmakers respected the God of heaven and His Word, a lot of the problems that we face today would not be problems. We wouldn't be dealing with problems related to the sanctity of human life because of abortion. Because we would believe that God is the author of life, that God is the Father of the Spirit, based on Hebrews 12, 9. That we have been fearfully and wonderfully made, that we have been made in His image and likeness. And that housed within every human being is an eternal soul. We wouldn't have a battleground. We wouldn't be fighting today over same-sex marriage if we believed in the ideals of Scripture. I know what the Supreme Court has said. I know that they've handed down legislation and now in our society, in our country, Two men can be married, two women can be married. You know what the problem is? We as a nation do not stand in awe of the Word of God. Marriage and those who have the right to be married, that decision, that decree was made a long time ago. And the psalmist said it right in Psalm 119, 89, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. When God created Adam in the long ago and said, It's not good that man should be alone, God then created a woman to meet the needs 
of man, to be his partner, his suitable companion, causing a deep sleep to come upon Adam. In that deepened sleep, extracting a rib and making the woman and then bringing her to Adam, whereby Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken from the man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. That's God's design. That has not changed. And yet, we have lawmakers today that think they know different. That they think, they think in their minds that what we have to do is placate everyone. Look, I'm all about equality and treating people in a kind and Christ-like way. The problem, the problem in America today is that we no longer accept a divine standard. And that goes back to standing in awe of the Word of God. And listen, don't be fooled. This idea has crept into the church as well, hasn't it? In other words, is it, is it not the case that people today have minimized the importance of God's Word that we have questioned His authority, that is as old as Adam and Eve in the garden. Jude in the long ago said, Woe unto them who run in the way of Cain. Do you remember Cain? Cain was a modern-day innovator, wasn't he? Jeroboam, the same. Nadab and Abihu, offering strange flesh unto God. When individuals do not respect the Word of God and the authority of that Word, then you've got problems, don't you? Major problems. And didn't John in Revelation chapter 22 close out that book of inspiration by saying, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man adds to these words, he said, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. If any man takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the book of life and from the holy city. So it goes back to respecting the Word of God. And then there's a second thought. First, we think about his awe of Scripture, but secondly, the aim of Scripture, or the aim of the Word of God. To understand first and foremost that this book that we call the Bible is from God. I would challenge you this week, read through Psalm 119 and note if you would the number of times the psalmist alludes to God's Word, God's precepts, God's statutes, God's judgments. Over and over and over again. This is God's Word. It comes to us from God, doesn't it? Wasn't it again the psalmist who said, Forever, O Lord, your word. What about Psalm 119, 105? Your word is a lamp unto our feet. There it is. This is God's Word. It comes to us by Almighty God. Mankind didn't have the ability to put together a book like this. 
You're talking about some 40 different writers over a period of about 1,500 years under the supervision of the Holy Spirit. You remember what Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 1, holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. You remember Paul said all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. It is God-breathed. So this book comes to us from Almighty God. David, who penned many of these Psalms, David said the Spirit of the Lord was on my tongue. His Word was in my mouth. David acknowledging the fact that he wrote by inspiration. Paul in Ephesians chapter 3 talked about how he received revelation from God. And he took that revelation and wrote it down. He said, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which brings us to another thought. The Word is from God, and it is intended to be for our good. God wants us to live according to the precepts of His Word. There are a lot of folks in our world today, they're trying to navigate through life without the aid of God's Word. Remember what Jeremiah said in Jeremiah chapter 10? It's not in man that walks to direct his own steps. I don't have the ability to safely and properly navigate my life on planet earth. And so what the psalmist says to us is, we need God's Word as a lamp under our feet and a light under our pathway. John said the world lies under the sway of the wicked one. The world is engulfed in spiritual darkness. And the only thing that's going to ultimately clear away the darkness so that we might properly live on planet earth is this book called the Bible, isn't it? I said a minute ago that this book's for our good. Imagine if you can, let's just take Corinth for example. When you go back to the city of Corinth and remember Paul spent 18 months there preaching the word of God among those people. And the Bible says many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. Corinth had a lot of problems. It has been well documented that they were an idolatrous and immoral city. So when Paul went to the city of Corinth, what did they need more than anything else? They needed the gospel, didn't they? And so Paul said, Know ye not, the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God, neither fornicators, adulterers, idolaters, homosexuals, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners, but then he said in verse 11, and such were some of you. What are some of the real problems that we have in America today? Do we have problems in the home? Do we have problems with husbands and wives living together and being what they ought to be? Do we have problems with young people and how they treat their parents? and civil authorities? Are there problems in our nation tonight rooted in fornication and adultery and idolatry, homosexuality? 
Are there people in our nation tonight that have problems with alcohol? Do people have problems with theft? I mean, the list goes on and on. So let's just say that every person in America decided this week that they're going to lay aside any practice that would be contradictory to the Word of God. Would that make a sweeping change in this country? Would, would we see radical changes all across this nation? Yes or no? Yes. We would, wouldn't we? Why? Because God has given us His Word so that we might better our lives, so that our lives might be blessed, so that we might enjoy fullness in this life. When Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and he said, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Key in on that word, profitable. Paul is saying to Timothy, Look, this book, Scripture, is profitable in your life. The problem is, again, going back to this whole idea of failing to understand and appreciate the profitability of this book that we call the Bible. The song that we sang a moment ago, Give Me the Bible. All of the problems that we have in Washington. And you can take all the legislation and all the paper that's pushed across desks in Congress and Senate, in the White House, and you take all these problems that we're facing, and you take all that paper and you put it outside, Congress and Senate and the White House, put it out in the garbage, and take this book that we call the Bible, and would you see a change? You know what the problem is? We're trying to reinvent the wheel. Again, understanding that this book is intended for our good. Now, there's a third thing I would share with you. It has to do with the psalmist's affection for Scripture. The psalmist evidently loved this book that we call the Bible. Let me just share with you some passages. Look, if you would, for example, in verse 47. He said, I will delight myself in your commandments. Look at verse 70. I delight in your law. Verse 72. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of shekels of gold and silver. Verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. What is the reoccurring theme here? His tremendous love or affection for God's Word. I think I mentioned a week or two ago the number of hours that we in America, the number of hours that we sit in front of the television set. We just watch show after show after show, some four to five hours every single day, 20-something hours a week. Imagine if you can cutting that time in half and spending that time reading this book that we call the Bible. You think it'd make you a better person? Do you think it would impact your home life? Would it make your marriage better? 
Would it help you in the child-rearing process? Is there any way that it could impact how you deal with your employer or employees? Would it make you a better citizen in this country? Would you have a greater desire and zeal to serve in the kingdom of God? The answer to those questions is yes. But it begins with how much we love this book. We spend a lot of time week to week doing things that we love, don't we? I don't know what your hobby is. I don't know what you like to do regularly. But there are things that appeal to us that we enjoy. And look, there's nothing wrong with having hobbies and engaging in things that we enjoy in life. But sometimes we do everything else to the exclusion of spending time in this book, which leads me to another thought. It has to do with our aptitude in Scripture. I appreciate those of you that read Scripture every day. Many of you probably read through the Bible in a year, and that's wonderful. I think it's good to have some type of a system whereby you methodically work your way through a book or a chapter or whatever. Please don't misunderstand me. Reading Scripture is good. It's helpful. But you will never know the Word of God if all you do is read one chapter a night. You will never know the Bible. Now, you can become acquainted with certain passages. And it might be that certain things on the surface you can pick up and understand. But if you want to really know the Word of God and develop aptitude in this book that we call the Bible, do you know what it's going to take? It's going to take rolling up your sleeves and getting involved in a daily study and meditation of this book. It's going to take some work. And you're going to have to pull it out every single day. It might be that you need to invest in some tools that will help you better understand Scripture. You know, there's a difference in the words aptitude and ineptitude. But I be honest and say that we've got a lot of folks in the Church of Christ tonight who are inept in Scripture. They just don't know the book. There was a day and time in the history of Churches of Christ when people who belonged to the body of Christ, they were literally walking Bibles. And they knew the Scriptures inside out. They could talk to their co-workers classmates, neighbors, friends, and family members. I think one of the reasons we don't evangelize today is because we just don't know the book. We don't have the answers. We haven't spent time investing. Look, you've got to do your homework. You've got to do some digging and, and investigating. I can't do it for you. The elders can't do it for you. 
I've, I have the responsibility of digging in this book just like you do. And if I'm going to know this book, I've got to spend some time in it, don't I? Didn't Peter say, as a newborn baby, desire the sincere milk of the Word that you might grow thereby? And didn't the Apostle Peter say, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? I know in our school system sometimes individuals, I know sometimes they really don't meet the criterion set forth academically, but they're past. And so what happens is they become juniors and seniors in high school, but they still don't know the basics. Well, our school system is not doing those people a favor. Imagine if you can, you've got somebody who's a senior in high school, but they're reading on a level of about a third grader. Well, whose fault is that? Imagine somebody who's been in the body of Christ for 10 or 20 years, but rather than excelling in knowledge and knowing the book, are operating on the level of about a third grader. The Hebrew writer addressed that. Did you know that? When by reason of time you ought to be teachers, you have need that someone teach you the first principles of the oracles of God. I know I must sound like a broken record when I talk about just those basic, fundamental, cardinal doctrines of the New Testament that we ought to know. But I really believe that as a member of the church, if somebody asks us how many churches there are, we ought to be able to give them book, chapter, and verse. If somebody asks us why we do not use instruments of music in worship, we ought to be able to tell them. If somebody asks us why we believe baptism is essential to salvation, we ought to be able to turn to it and say, this is what the record says. And shame on us if we don't know it. For some of us, we've been members of the body of Christ long enough, we ought to know this information. But we don't know it. Whose fault is it? Is it my fault? I know I could do a better job teaching and preaching. Is it the elders' fault? I mean, whose fault is it? If you don't know the Bible, whose fault would it be? Now, I would grant sometimes we're not as effective as we ought to be teaching. And there are times when I preach and teach and I feel so inadequate. There are times when I wish I could go back and do it again. But the bottom line is, the ball is in your court. And if you want to know the Word of God, and if you want to develop some aptitude in the Scriptures, you're going to have to invest some time. It's just that simple. We can tell you anything you need to know about the team that we pull for week to week. We can tell you how many yards somebody ran in a football game, how many touchdowns they made. We can talk about their strengths and their weaknesses and this and that, but we couldn't tell you one thing about the Word of God. It says something about where our heart lies. 
If you know more about your favorite team than you do the basics in Scripture, could I encourage you to step in front of the mirror this week and say, I am guilty, and I'm going to do better. I'm going to learn the Bible. We just need to be humble and acknowledge we're not getting the job done. So there is the aptitude of Scripture. And then let me just say this. And it has to do, as we look at Psalm 119, with the application of Scripture. Our time's almost gone. This book's not going to do you any good if you don't open it, read it, meditate on it, and apply it to your life. Imagine if you can, you go to the doctor this week, the doctor runs a series of tests, and he comes back, sits down with you face to face, and he said, well, I've got some bad, ne some bad news, but I've got good news as well. The bad news is, you've got diabetes. The good news is, we have medicine that can help you function day to day with diabetes. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to give you a prescription. You take this insulin every day, you'll be okay. Well, what if you leave the doctor's office and you say, you know, the old guy he doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm okay. And you don't get the prescription or get the prescription filled. And then you go into a diabetic coma. Whose fault is that? Is it the doctor's fault? No, it'd be our fault, wouldn't it? You know, here's the prescription. Here's what you need to do. It'd be like, be like Nancy. When we went to West Clinic, and the oncologist told us, he said, listen, you have a very bad cancer. He says, very aggressive. And here's what we're going to do to make you better. What if we'd walked out of there and just said, you know, I, I, I really don't want, you know, we don't really want to go through all the trouble of chemo and surgery and whatever else lies ahead. That'd be foolish, wouldn't it? So if we have God's Word, and Paul said, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, and we have this Word, and we're supposed to internalize it and then make application in our lives, and we don't do it, whose fault is that? We have the prescription. If you want to bless life and you want to enjoy life to its fullest, and I believe that we can have a full life here, don't you? Is there anything wrong with enjoying life and loving life? I don't think there is. Peter said, he that would love life and see good days. I love life and I want to see good days. Well, let me tell you how that can be accomplished. You've got to go back to this book, don't you? If your life is not what it ought to be, could I suggest to you, it might be 
The problem lies in the fact that you haven't made the application. And if you don't apply this book to your life, I can tell you right now, your life's going to be chaotic. You're going to be dealing with discontentment and dissatisfaction and heartache after heartache after heartache. Your life will be a complete mess. You might get lucky and have a few good days, a few good years, but overall, you're going to have a lot of trouble. Psalm 119 is intended for us to reflect upon the majesty of God's Word and to understand that this Word is something special. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, we talk about freedom in this country. We enjoy freedom in this country. But there are a lot of folks who enjoy the freedoms that we have in this country, but Spiritually, they're in bondage. They're in slavery. They're not the recipients of freedom. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. In John 8, verse 36, He said, if the Son makes you free, you are free indeed. Do you want to be free from the shackles of sin? If you do, the good news is the gospel will do that. What would you need to do to do exactly what they did when the church began, Pentecost Day, city of Jerusalem, in about, in about A.D. 30, 33? You need to repent of your sins, confess the name of Christ, and be immersed in water. Let God forgive you of all your sins, let Him put you in the church, and then you start, to the best of your ability, living a faithful, steadfast life. I don't think I've ever met anybody in life who said, you know what, i got a lot of problems in my life, and the reason is because I spend too much time in this book and because I'm following what Jesus said. I don't think I've ever met anybody like that. But I've met a lot of folks that have a lot of troubles in their life, and the reason is not because God's Word has been integrated into their life, but because it hasn't been integrated into their life. So tonight, if you need to respond to the invitation, if you need to be restored, I'd be happy to pray with you and for you tonight as we stand and sing.